I'm Polly. I'm a mom, a wife, a pelvic floor physical therapist, and founder of No Kegels University. I have helped thousands of women stop leaking, enjoy intimacy, and feel proud of their bodies, even after having kids. After years of listening to women wonder why no one talks about leaking, how they should properly recover after having a baby, and that pleasurable intimacy is possible, I started to get real frustrated because I believe that no mom or woman should struggle when there are answers. It became my mission to shed light on the lack of postpartum care and the lack of discussion on issues that relate to women and their health, even if they can be uncomfortable sometimes. It also became my mission to change the conversation on women's health, the pelvic floor, and more. Here we go. Welcome to Beyond the V with Polly. In this episode, I take the time to speak with Stephanie, a doula, but also she is much more than a doula. Let me first read you her bio so you can learn a little bit about her, and then we will get into the interview. Stephanie is passionate about her work as a certified yoga teacher, doula, childbirth educator, and personal mentor. Stephanie is the founder of Bava Birth, a mindfulness-based childbirth education course. She believes that birth is a rite of passage and a profound opportunity for personal growth. Her specialty is merging Eastern wisdom with Western research in an effective multidisciplinary approach. Above all else in the birth experience, Stephanie values sovereignty, consent, and whole body attunement. Stephanie loves to travel write, spend time in nature, have deep one-on-one conversations, and avoid crowded places. Her happy place involves wool socks, a hot beverage, a cozy sweater, and something to write on. Her introverted nature brings a sense of calm and depth with her wherever she goes. Stephanie is married to Nicholas, an intuitive deep tissue massage therapist, personal development coach, and Tai Chi instructor. Together, they're raising four awesome children in beautiful Provo, Utah. Let me tell you about my first few meetings with Stephanie so you can understand why I requested that she be on this podcast and that we get to learn from her. I dropped off some marketing materials because she is local to my area, thinking that it would be a good networking opportunity and she made time for me to sit down and to speak with her. And the interesting thing was I was so ready to give her my spiel as to how I can help her patients and her clients. And little did I realize when I asked her, okay, well, you know what, what are you, what do you offer? What might be a good, what might be a good way for me to know that I should refer one of my patients to you because I, I do want to make sure that my patients are well taken care of. And I was blown away that as she was sitting there and describing all the reasons that someone might benefit from working with her, I realized, oh, I think I need to actually come see you. And so not that long after I scheduled a session with her regarding some of my post-traumatic stress regarding both of my births. I hadn't necessarily termed them as traumatic. However, 
you'll notice in the episode that she will walk you through how to process your birth. And it really was such a an emotional, but also such a beautiful conversation that I had with her when I worked with her to be able to process my birth and just really kind of understand what happened and how even though there were so many things that happened with both of my births and nothing went the way I wanted to, the way that I wanted it to, except for having two beautiful babies here, that it still was such a beautiful journey and it was my journey and that nothing really went wrong. When I refer my patients to her for various reasons, one of the phrases I'll typically say is, you will never meet a stranger who cares more about you and your well-being than when you meet with Stephanie. And you'll notice throughout the episode that she just she's very cautious about the words that she uses and she's so mindful to ensure that you know how important you are and your value and your worth. So I hope you take notes and I hope that you utilize this episode, not only share it with your friends or expectant sisters or friends or neighbors, but also that you come back to it and revisit it. I I have this feeling that this is going to be a resource that you'll want to revisit at different seasons of your life. And be sure to check out how you can get in touch with her following the episode. Here we go. Hi, and welcome to this week's podcast. Hi, Stephanie, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Polly. It is so good to be here. Good. I am, I'm so grateful that you're here, and I am certain that everyone listening is going to find value now, and even that it, it will be an episode that they'll come back to as a resource and probably share with their loved ones and their friends. I hope so. Okay. Well, the first thing that I want to say is that I have personally worked with Stephanie on some um, postpartum experiences that I have uh, that I have had, and she's helped me work through quite a bit of them. And she shared with she shared with me something that was really powerful and. I never can do it justice when I try to explain it. So I I wanted the expert and I wanted her mouth and her beautiful words to be able to to be shared with you. So Stephanie, if you if you wouldn't mind maybe just share a little bit about yourself and how you've come to start using or maybe how long it's been since you've used these labyrinths in your practice. Sure. I would hardly say I'm an expert on this topic, but I definitely consider myself a devout student of labyrinths. And um, and I love teaching with others what I have learned so far. And I would say that my personal experiences with labyrinths started when I was in college. And I didn't know anything about them, but I had the opportunity to attend a, I guess it was like, a seminar or a workshop where there was a Buddhist monk giving a presentation. And so we went to this Episcopalian church and listened to this beautiful um, presentation, I guess, speech. He had been imprisoned and he just shared his story, but that's actually not 
even the point of the story because after he, uh, he was done, they cleared all the chairs off of the floor. And apparently we had been sitting on top of a labyrinth the whole time. <laughs> and I had not even noticed it. I just thought it was beautiful patterns and it, and it was beautiful patterns, but they were very intentional. And so that was my first experience walking a labyrinth. At the time, I thought, well, this must be some kind of a religious ritual. And so I just participated uh, with interest and curiosity, but didn't necessarily go home and dive in and, and explore it. But it left a mark on me, a strong impression. And then it was... Years later, on a trip to Europe, we were able to visit so many different cathedrals. Inadvertently, I ended up at the most famous and uh, oldest, um, I think it's the oldest in the Western world. Um, I, I showed up at a cathedral not even knowing it was there. <laughs> and it's, it's the Chartres Cathedral in France. We went there because we'd heard the stained glass windows were so incredible and one of the oldest intact. So we were there checking out these incredible stained glass windows when come to find there is one of the most beautiful intact labyrinths on the floor of that cathedral as well. I did not get to walk it that day. There was a service happening at the time, but that did get me interested. And I went home and wanted to understand why it was so significant and what it had symbolized. Um, what I would say is that it really wasn't until I entered the birth work, you know, a decade later, after having my own children, I learned about Pam England's work, who wrote a book called The Labyrinth of Birth highly recommend it because she's definitely the pioneer that brought the metaphor of labyrinth into birth work. And that's when a lot of beautiful things merged for me. And I will, I also want to give a, a shout out to my yoga mentor, Syl Carson at Bodhi Yoga, because she was the one that introduced to me labyrinths as a form of meditation. And that was also very new. And so that's the groundwork. Those were all of the different touch points of where I had been introduced to labyrinths. Um, but definitely in my birth work is where I have had so much joy incorporating it into helping my clients. Oh, I don't think I realized that you had so many introductions into labyrinths. That's, yeah. It's almost like it was meant to be, whether you think of it that way, like it, like it needed to happen that way. I love it. It was very organic. Yeah, I, I think that just makes this even more special. Okay, so before we dive in a little bit more, for those that don't know what a labyrinth is, I remember when you used that word, I thought, oh man, is this like a Harry Potter thing? Like I've never read Harry Potter. <laughs> I've never watched the movies. Yeah. I, I'm, like I'm going to be lost again on this Harry Potter thing. So do you mind maybe just describing it a little bit so um, people might have an idea? So, so those that are listening might be able to have a visual of that. Yeah, most people have a correlation with David Bowie. So Harry Potter is very refreshing. I, I enjoy oh. that. <laughs> if you've ever seen the David Bowie film called The Labyrinth. 
Um, oh, okay. Okay. I will just tell you, it's a misnomer because really that film depicts a maze. And, and so we'll, we'll talk about how those two are different. But yeah, to introduce Labyrinths, I would say that first, it's, it's really good to acknowledge that they have a, a rich global history and variety. So you can see Labyrinths all across the globe, in South America, in Europe, in Africa, in Asia. Each culture really has its own unique approach to the design and and how we suspect they were made, but also maybe how they were used. Sometimes ritually, other times meditatively, uh, we suspect that they if they were very large labyrinths, such as the Nazca lines in Peru, that they would have been walked on top of. Um, Some are very small on cave walls, like the island of Crete, or a lot of Native American petroglyphs that depict labyrinths. They were likely finger traced or eye traced. And really the act of creating labyrinths itself is a very meditative process as well. So to to really boil it down, I think it is helpful to start with something that we already know, which is the maze. And if it's okay with you, Polly, maybe I'll just kind of play back and forth with you and just ask some questions if if that works. Of course. (laughs) Great. Okay. Let's think about what we know about a maze. What would you say is the main objective or purpose of a maze to get to the end or to get through it to complete it or to win yeah and and oftentimes where is the end or the exit like where do you typically um emerge i mean uh, there's obviously different side at the other side i think or like at the edge maybe I'm thinking of like a corn maze because it's, you know, we're just finishing. Yeah, totally. We all walked those with our kids this year, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I think that's probably the most common. Occasionally you'll see a maze that maybe leads you into the center, but most of the time you're starting on one end and the objective is to get to the other side. Mm, Okay. Now, how do we go about doing that? So one way of asking this is what is the decision-making process like? Oh, um, while I am not probably the best at walking through mazes, cause I do feel like I get lost often. Mm-hmm. I try to remember what, what way did it work before? And then I would try to use the opposite, like just kind of Mm. get my bearings or have some sort of orientation that, Oh, okay. I think we went this way before. Let's try a different way. Like there, it almost seemed that there was, there was a lot of wrongs and one right. Yes. I love that. And if we were to even back up just a moment, cause you talked about what happens after you take a wrong turn, oh. how do you even make a turn? Like you're walking along a maze and you come to a fork in the road. And what is the thought process that goes through your mind in that moment? Oh, well, I always, I've always worried about making the wrong choice. And so I'm sure there's probably mm-hmm. some self-doubt and questioning if I'll make the right choice or if I have to make the wrong one and then backtrack. 
That's it, exactly. So immediately you're flooded with so many different thoughts and feelings of, well, one of these is right and one of these is wrong. How am I supposed to know? And then it usually turns into a bit of trial and error. It's, it's like, mm-hmm. well, I just have to make a choice. I'm going to go with this one. And then we kind of pick up with what you shared that, well, inevitably, you don't know if you made the right choice <laughs> until you either come to a new crossroads or you hit a, a dead end, right? Oh, right, right. And if you hit a dead end, then what? What are some of the thoughts and feelings that start to come? Um, I messed up. Oh, I knew I should have gone the other way. Why didn't I listen to my gut? Mm. I always choose the wrong way. (laughs) Or for some, it could be, I did listen to my gut and I'm still here. Oh, okay. Okay. And, And that's not a very pleasant one either, is it? No, no, not at all. Yeah. So you've given us like a pretty good overview of what it's like to <laughs> to uh, navigate a maze. Some people say this is fun and entertaining. I, oh, sure. you know, I question that. I think when it's a corn maze, it can be. <laughs> yeah. But the challenge is, is if we have been taught that birth is a maze or the bigger picture, that life is a maze. And a lot of times these teachings are very subliminal, but other Mm. times they're, they're very strongly um, indoctrinated into you. So this is really where it starts to open up in the birth application. Okay. Because when we talk about a labyrinth, well, actually, yeah, let's, let's um, push pause on the birth application and I'll, I'll say, let's, now talk about how a labyrinth is different from that maze that we just described. Okay. Okay. So with the maze, we learned that you are navigating a series of left and right, right or wrong, good or bad choices constantly. Does that feel like a pretty good assessment? Yes. Yes, it does. Well, the thing with labyrinths is that there is only one path. And I know that's hard to visualize if you have never seen a labyrinth. So I would say this is a good opportunity to push pause and go Google (laughs) labyrinth. (laughs) Now, sometimes the internet will still feed you images of mazes that are not accurate because labyrinth is almost like a subcategory of maze. It's It could be classified under maze, but it is its own distinct form. And you'll know you're looking at a labyrinth when you only see one entrance. And if you were to trace it with your finger, you follow the path, but nowhere along the way are you having to navigate between left or right. And eventually it leads you to the center. And then the only way out of the labyrinth is to actually retrace your steps and to walk out on the path that you just came in and you exit through the entrance. So that's when you know you're looking at a labyrinth and there's a lot of variations of that. And for example, the Nazca lines that I mentioned, this Mm -hmm. is a, a very different style of labyrinth Um, But that would have been one that you simply walk on top 
of the line and it brings you back to where you started versus walking between the lines in some of these online images that you'll see. So let's let's take a closer look at that. Um, if you're walking along a path and there's no fork in the road and you're not having to decide, am I going left or right? Then what's the decision-making process like? I feel like it, it would take away a lot of the analytics and the doubt, almost, almost as though you, you would just have immediate confidence in your, I guess, journey to the center. Wow. I mean, just like that, that's pretty profound (laughs) (laughs) because you're really getting at the very heart of it here, Polly, is that. It, it's less about analyzing your choice of, am I doing the right thing or have I messed it all up? Am I even on the right path? And it really moves you more into a space of, will I simply keep going? Oh. It's like, that's really the only question that a labyrinth asks of you. And that's quite different than turning on yourself constantly assessing the choices that you make moment to moment and trying to determine if you're making good choices or bad choices and then beating yourself up over it or sometimes patting yourself on the back if you happen to get it right. Labyrinths really do remove that whole process and allow you to simply trust that each step you take is going to get you to your destination and you actually can't get it wrong. Hmm. Now, some people push back on that. Sure, sure. And I kind of love it when they do, because (laughs) does this mean that we never make mistakes? (laughs) Does this mean that we are perfect? No, no. I think what it really is speaking to is that it's more about choosing to look at what actually is. It's focusing on the present moment and saying, this is the story as it's unfolding. This is where I am. So therefore, nothing else exists. This is actually the only path. And so maybe we can ground this by giving some examples. And and then this Mm -hmm. is where it could really kind of segue into some birth application. Does that feel like a good place to head? Yes. Yeah. And I, I'm sitting here thinking, oh man, I, I thought I knew this semi well, and this is why I want you to be able to explain it because (laughs) I, myself, I, I think I got a little bit lost. It was, I mean, obviously the session you and I had together was different. It was a lot more pertinent to me and what I had experienced, but this is incredibly fascinating. And I, I just feel like no matter where anyone is in their postpartum experience, whether it's two weeks or 16 years that this is going to be applicable. Okay. I can't, I can't wait. Run with it. Let's do this. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that because this is in my opinion, a game changer. And I, and I love the word game in game changer because games, oh, yeah. have, games have rules, you know, and, oh, right. and, and if we've been playing by the rules of a maze and it's not working for us, then let's, let's change games and play oh. by, play, play by new rules. Does that make sense? 
Yes. Oh, I, I love that. And I feel like that is really quite applicable, especially for us as women. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm on okay, the edge we'll, of my We'll seat. circle I, back to that. Yes. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. So let's look at some birth applications. So in Pam England's okay. teachings, the way she explores this is that you can visualize the journey into the labyrinth as you're heading into the center as the descent this is the process of birth that you are embarking on a journey. And she teaches a really beautiful meditative process that as you come to the entrance, she calls it a threshold because anytime you're embarking on a journey or undertaking a new rite of passage, there is a threshold that gets crossed. Like once you step over that line, there's no going back. You, The only way out is through. And so she says, take a moment and do that intentionally. And, and you cross that threshold. And then it's about surrendering to the process. It's about putting one foot in front of the other. And along the way, there will be choices that have to be made. But it is not from the, the paradigm of, is it right or wrong? So if you're laboring along and your nurse comes into the room and says, we feel it's time to break your waters, suddenly you're put in a position to make a choice. Now, if mm. you were in a maze, you would be thinking, oh, oh gosh, I don't know. Is this the right thing to do? And maybe feeling some anxiety surface, maybe thinking about your friend who had her waters broken and it oh. ended up being so problematic for her. But then this other friend who said it was the best thing ever and you're weighing and considering and and then you just make the choice, right? Oh. Now, if it's a maze... It all depends on how that choice played out to de- that will determine how you feel about it. So you make the choice to have your waters broken. And the next thing you know, your, content- your contractions, they did indeed uh, increase as predicted, but now you're not coping. It's kind of thrown you off to the point where your plans for an unmedicated birth suddenly seems impossible and you're starting to think pretty heavily about the epidural. Mm. Another choice is presented to you. <laughs> do I get the epidural or do not? And on and on and on. Now, all of this converges upon you postpartum because oftentimes yeah. in the moment, you, you things are moving so rapidly and and so in, they're so intense that it's hard to sit down and reflect and think about each little choice that that we made that got us to where we are, right? And, yeah, and this yeah. is why why birth is just the descent. It's only the first part of the journey. But when you get to the center, which I think is typified by meeting your baby. Mm-hmm. getting to hold and snuggle and you know maybe you get to decide what that actual center moment is for you specifically mm-hmm. but somewhere along those lines and then this is when part two opens up um i'm sure you've heard the term mama bear cave yeah <laughs> well if you're looking at a labyrinth and you think about the process of birth leading you deep into the heart and center of that labyrinth 
Mm-hmm. Well, that mama bear cave takes on a whole new meaning because you're like, yeah, I am down deep in the belly of this labyrinth. And on one hand, that's exactly where you should be. It's safe. It's protected. It is away from the rest of the world. It's a place to bond and connect and heal and recover and lick your wounds, right? Here's the problem. You can get stuck in there. You can feel it can start to turn on you. And instead mm-hmm. of it being a mama bear cave, it can start to feel like I'm in prison. I, I'm so isolated. I'm so cut off. I can't even connect with the person I used to be, with my family members, with, with the rest of life. It's just going on without me. And I'm stuck down here and nobody even knows. I don't think they've even seen me for, for days. And this is when it's a really big signal to me as a birth worker that this is a a woman who needs help making her ascent, that it's time for her to start making the journey back out of that labyrinth. And again, it's Pam England who I think helps helps give us a really clear idea of how to do that. And it's so simple, but very challenging. And it's birth story processing, Mm, right? Yeah. The way that we start to emerge out of that cave is by telling our story to someone and, and sometimes multiple people. And it's to people that are safe and that are trusted and that deserve to hear your story. And I would say it goes beyond that because sometimes the stories that we do tell are maybe censored. It's maybe more factual. <laughs> it's maybe yeah. here's the highlights. But it's not very often that we trust someone enough or we maybe haven't acknowledged it ourselves to look at the low lights and to look at the shadowy parts and to say, actually, if I'm honest, that part was really, really hard and I don't know what to do about it. And that's the type of processing that allows you to to begin to integrate it. So if you imagine um, going on a hike, you know, there are some hikes where you can hike up one way and go down another, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I'm sure you've been on a hike that you go up to the summit and then you kind of retrace your steps coming back down. Does that sound like something you've experienced? Yeah. Yes. Lots of time. Yeah. And it's really similar, similar to that where the whole hike in, it's very new. It's, it's new territory. You're walking this trail for the first time and you're, you're taking it all in, you're seeing the sights and, and you get to the summit and just have this moment Usually there's time to just sit and reflect and soak it in and recover and prepare yourself for the downward climb. And as you do so, it's not the first time you've been on that terrain, but you're seeing it from a new perspective, right? 
Yes. You're yes. coming, you're coming down the trail and you may see, oh, there's that tree that we stopped and had lunch under. And you keep walking, oh, this is when I tripped and skinned my <laughs> knee. And oh, here's the lake that we splashed in. And and it's you're actually processing your hike uh, as you come back oh. down. And so the labyrinth really is such a beautiful model for that, where instead of it being a maze where the objective is to just get, get in and out as fast as possible. And you never look back and you never want to like go back in it. A labyrinth very intentionally has you retrace every single step. You can't not retrace it. It's the only way out. Uh Uh-huh. Not powerful. Incredibly. And I, I'm, just thinking like, man, maybe, maybe personally, we did not explore everything we needed to when I talked to you the first time, <laughs> right. but also how I can utilize this for like other things, which I don't know if now is the time to ask that question, like how we sure. can apply this to other. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like, you know, whether it's been a confrontation with somebody or an argument, or just a really tough time in life where maybe we struggled a little bit more. Could you maybe walk us through maybe just a couple, like a couple of examples of how we could use this idea of the labyrinth besides processing our birth story? But I, Mm -hmm. I also feel like you do such a great job of outlining it and describing it that. For me, I feel like it's pretty easy just to, t- whether we're talking about a birth story, whether it's traumatic or, mm-hmm. or just something or just difficult. regular life. Yeah. 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 For sure. So here is a really simple way to implement labyrinths into your day-to-day life. I would say, I want you to listen for May's language and to feel for May's feelings. So what that means, if we're listening for May's language, a lot of times those sound like if only. (laughs) Think about if only for just a moment. What happens to our whole demeanor when we start going down the rabbit hole of, of what if or if only? Yeah, it makes me think of almost a longing, maybe despair, um, like, I don't know, gloomy days, just, I don't Uh know, just very down in the dumps, kind of, just a lot of regret, I suppose. Regret, that's a big one. Yeah, and, you know, occasionally it can be perhaps positive too, right? Um, If only we were so wealthy and we could do everything we wanted. In a way, that's positive, but it's still predicated on this reality. Oh, well, that means we're poor, right? So it's creating it's creating a dichotomy, and it's taking us out of the present moment. It's it means that we have actually left reality, and we have jumped off that ship into the other ship that you know that coulda, shoulda, woulda been, and. And our minds get stuck there. And we think, if I had only jumped ship before and and caught that other one, then everything would be different. And this is what, when I start to pick up with a client or with myself, 
that, oh, I'm, I'm suddenly back in the maze game, aren't I? Like I'm, I took a turn and I'm suddenly doubting the choices that I made, or I'm anxious about the future based upon past experiences. And I'm not actually looking at the present and just sitting with what is I'm stuck in the past with what is not, or I'm, uh, stuck in the future with what could be, but isn't. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Oh man. I'm just, man, I, maybe I should have brought some paper and (laughs) I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to this and just take notes because I, Mm. I just feel like it's so applicable. And I thought it was interesting how you said too, in the way I've just thought about this and maybe just, it was because of the way it's been presented to me and how I've shared it with patients before that it's for the big moments, but you, you made a comment before, um, maybe just a word choice before you started this explanation that it's something that you do daily. So this is like, this is a daily practice or something that you're aware of on, on the daily. Is that right? Did I understand that? Yeah. Yeah. I I kind of compare it to Stephen Covey's seven habits. Are you familiar with, with the book? Uh Uh-huh. Because it was from him, and I'm pretty sure I was in high school or college when I when I read that for the first time, and I learned the vocabulary word paradigm. Do you remember that? Yes, yes, he, yes. Yeah, he talked about paradigms as like a roadmap that we're on, and he says that a paradigm is simply a model or a perception or an understanding of of how life works. And he teaches you to become very aware of the paradigms that you are operating under. And so to me, that is what the labyrinth did for me. It it showed me that I was operating under a maze paradigm and it was not serving me, that it was leading me to feelings, which we could jump into that because I talked about the listening for maze language Let's Mm -hmm, wrap mm -hmm. that up and talk about feeling for the maze feelings because I was feeling anxiety, stuckness, uh, shame, a sense of failure, regret, blaming myself. If ever something didn't go according to plan, one or more of those feelings would open up inside of me. That's that's the daily practice. It's like... Getting in touch with, well, what are, what are the original thoughts and feelings that are leading to these actions? And let's go to the root and, oh, yep, there you go. I'm, I'm back in the maze. That's okay. It's an opportunity for me to intentionally step into a labyrinth because mm-hmm. now I can actually take one step after another without turning on myself because you know what? The Stephanie that made that choice yesterday didn't know what she knows now. I'm not going to blame her. I'm not going to turn on the past version of myself. She deserves better than that. She made the best choice that she was capable of making based upon what she knew at the time. And I'm going to honor that she made that choice. Now, that doesn't mean (laughs) that... I may not still feel grief. Oh, sure. Mm. Sadness, pain. Yeah. You get to feel all of those in a labyrinth. 
the difference is between pain and suffering. Because I believe oh, right. mazes lead us into a path of suffering. I think mindful uh, mindfulness is found in the labyrinth where we can actually be very um, in tune with our feelings and we're still feeling a full spectrum of things, but it's from a place of compassion and mindfulness. Oh my word. I am just, I'm blown away by this because I just keep thinking, man, if I, I mean, that's going to probably sound like May's language, but man, if I would have known this just like a couple of years ago, <laughs> I feel like I'd be further in life. Like I might be happier, mm. not, you know, frustrated at myself for the choices I've made as a mother or as a wife or a business owner or what have you, you know, in whatever capacity. But I mean, maybe, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's probably a very great example of using May's language. <laughs> that is a great example. And so, so take it a step further, Polly. And now that you've acknowledged, oh yeah, I'm using May's language. Yeah. <laughs> then what's step two, I would say the compassion and say, oh, well, I hadn't heard about labyrinths. Duh. How could I hold myself accountable? To sure. This, you know, and it frees, hopefully that can free you up, Polly, to be like, yeah, that's okay that I didn't know this. I do now. That's cool. Right. Isn't that a little more compassionate on ourselves? Yes. And I, and I, I think that kind of even goes along with what I said in the beginning or at somewhere at this point where I said that just, especially as women and mothers, I mean, I don't, I, I would hate to compare myself to every female that's listening, but I, I do think generally speaking, a lot of us are pretty hard on ourselves and don't exercise. I mean, case in point here, here I am not exercising compassion for myself, but I, I would imagine, and you, I mean, you can speak to this as well because you work with women often too. Would, would you think that that's right? That we don't exercise as much compassion and kindness and grace to ourselves? Definitely. Um, it's what I like to call mothering the mother. Like we, I'm, I did not invent that term, but we typically think of that in regards to, oh, we should bring her meals and, and clean her home, which please do. But, <laughs> but it goes deeper. It's like all the layers of self. We are so naturally inclined to care for our young and our offspring, our loved ones. And we give and we give and we give as mothers, but it is not as natural. Like we have to learn the skill of mothering ourselves. And that's as basic and primary as compassion, believe it or not. Oh, interesting. And I am having just so many epiphanies with this. <laughs> well, good. Um, okay. So I just want to make sure, did I ask you all the questions that you would feel like would need to be asked for you to best explain for my listeners and the the ways in which someone could utilize this as they understand the labyrinth and as they process their birth story or implement the idea of choosing the labyrinth game and labyrinth language over the maze language and the maze game. Is there anything else that might be helpful just to maybe tie it up with a bow? Maybe I didn't ask the right question to give you the chance to, to share what you needed to. I feel like we covered some pretty great ground. I would consider this 
a good introduction. My hope is that it will spark something in the listeners to go and and jump down some rabbit holes, get on the internet, get get Pam England's book if you're specifically in the birth process right now. Um, if you're already beyond that, I actually still think you'd love her books. But find a labyrinth. There's a labyrinth locator on the internet. You could type in your area, see if there's one that you could physically walk. If not, um, print one from the internet and do it with your finger. Um, there's tutorials on how to make your own labyrinth. There are people that make them out of clay, out of stone, out of just organic materials, but also with pen and paper. So it's a really um, quite a beautiful rabbit hole. It's it's revolutionized my life, it, and it continues to because it's not a one and done. Like we talked about, Polly, it's a it's a check in point, and to say, oh, I'd like to get back to this other paradigm because this one isn't isn't serving me. So, so that's my hope is that this was a good introduction, but that you'll find now that you've heard this conversation, that the perfect book or the perfect mentor or the perfect opportunity will will show up for you to take you to the next step. Oh, I like, I like that so much because I feel like, so I typically like to leave my listeners with a piece of homework and I feel like that homework is very, each, each listener can choose what, you know, what resonates with them. I really like that. Thank you for, for sharing that. And the, the last question I'll ask, well, I guess maybe there's two more, but the last question I'll ask you that I asked my guests is if women, so besides this wealth of information of a podcast, this was, this truly is incredible. And I hope so many people utilize it now and reference it in, in the future. But if women could learn one thing from you, what would you want them to learn? Hmm. I think I'm going to speak to compassion. I feel that that's really the message that labyrinths have taught me mm-hmm. is that you are enough and your life is not about getting it right. It's certainly not about trying to not get it wrong. It's just about showing up, giving it your all and having the experience and to me, that's all wrapped up in compassion. Oh, that is so beautiful. That What a great way to tie this up. I, I really do appreciate that. Um, if you wouldn't mind it, sharing your Instagram handle, how people can best get in contact with you, how someone could work with you, whether that's virtually or just if you're local here in Utah, go, go ahead and, and, and let them know. Thank you. I I really appreciate that. My my Instagram handle is Bava Birth B H A V A underscore Birth B I R T H. You can also go straight to my website, which is the same spelling bavabirth.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, so you can find me there. But um, I do. I am local to Utah for childbirth education retreats. And if you are outside of Utah, I'm in the process of, process of getting my childbirth course more readily available online. It, I have I have a version <laughs> online that I don't why why widely advertise, but I'm in the process of um, revamping that. 
and I'm really excited to launch that soon. And um, of course, all of my mentoring work is available, as you said, virtually or in person. Great, great. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited for people to be able to access you and to get the help that they are wanting and needing and deserving. So thank you. Thank you, Polly. It's been such a privilege. Oh, it really has. And I'll end this podcast the way I end every. Remember, you're an heiress and a queen and everything in between. If you enjoyed this episode or even wondered if I can help you, check the show notes for more details. And to see what else I'm up to, follow me on the socials at Beyond the V, period, by Polly. Because I'm changing the conversation on women's health, the pelvic floor, and more, I still need your help. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend or two. See you next week.